Good morning. Welcome to the English Sunday School class for Youngstown Baptist Church. Today is October 17th, 2021. We will jump back into our lesson on biblical creationism. We are in lesson 4.5, still looking down at geology and evidence from geology. We have looked at several, at one or two different evidences already of how geology specifically supports uh, the creation account of a worldwide cataclysmic flood. Uh, we looked at fossil graveyards last week, and today we're looking at transcontinental rock layers. And I typed transitional. It is not transitional, it is transcontinental, so you forgive me for that typo. It's on every slide. <laughs> it is transcontinental rock layers. <laughs> what a week. Alright, so we've looked at um, the Grand Canyon quite a bit, on, but as just as a way of background, on every continent there are layers of sedimentary rock, right? There are multiple kinds of rock. Sedimentary rock is a particular kind that was that is mixed up and then lays down as layers of sediment. Sedimentary rock covers vast areas of most of the continents that are visible above the water. Many of these sediment layers can be traced across continents. Some people try it, especially in the evolutionary theory, but I will warn you, also Bible-believing Christians, some people attribute this to what they call the Pangea theory. Mm -hmm. The Pangea theory claims that what is above water now has always been above water. And that at some point it was one general landmass in the middle, with most of the world being water, and that that all drifted apart with tectonic activity. And we'll we'll discuss that further as we get through this class. That it doesn't make any sense because everything under the water is also crust, and it, that these are not islands that float independently of themselves. And there is no evidence that all of these continents have always been out of the water. As we've discussed with fossil graveyards and with the first lesson of marine fossils being found at the top of Mount Everest, obviously that was underwater at some point. And if all of it was underwater in the Bible's described global cataclysmic flood, none of it would look the same when it comes back out of the water as it did when it went under the water. Okay, and any child can experiment with that in a jar with dirt and water. You put the dirt in, you know what it looks like. You put water on top of it, and you mix it up a little bit, and then you dry all the water out of there, and the dirt doesn't look the same anymore. Okay, great introduction. So, <laughs> when geologists look closely at all of these sedimentary rocks that do span across the continents, they find evidence that those sediments were deposited rapidly, not slowly, over millions of years, as evolution claims. And we'll get into that evidence in a minute, but consider first the sedimentary rock layers exposed in the wall of the Grand Canyon. We've looked at the Grand Canyon quite a few times. This is a little bit different angle. Um, to, and I'm going to have to change the brightness on this television because I don't think you can see it as well as you should be able to. Uh, but from the top of the Kaibab limestone layer all the way down to what we would consider where you're standing at the ground and then there's below the ground. All of these layers from here up are sedimentary rock layers. Below that, there are two other groups of rocks, the supergroup and then the base, uh, baseline stones that are underneath, or the basement stones, as they call them. 
but as you would expect when you mix up a bunch of things in the water the heaviest stuff goes to the bottom and the lightest stuff stays on the top so limestone being the lightest and then several sandstone layers in between um, but those sedimentary layers are usually the lightest rocks and end up on the top most of the time not all the time so in these walls, we've been, we have looked at the Grand Canyon a lot and will continue to because it is one of the greatest examples of God's revelation through geology and the world. It provides us so much ready information that we can see without having to scan or dig or anything like that. Um, it is definitely a gift from God relative to evidence for his flood. But this sequence of layers is not unique to the Grand Canyon. This sequence of layers actually spreads across the United States. Um, for more than 50 years, geologists have recognized that these strata belong to um, what they call mega sequences, or very thick, distinctive sequences of sedimentary rock layers. That the order they are in is in the same order across vast areas. They're not um, switched up. So. Those, as I said, those three sets of layers in the Grand Canyon are the upper layer, which or the upper set, which is the sedimentary rocks. Um, they often call it the Paleozoic because they're trying to assign time periods to it. <clears throat> but we won't get into those evolutionary words too much. Mm -hmm. Then there's uh, where this says the Vish, the Vishnu or Vishnu uh, Shist, those those rock layers that are a little heavier than most of the sedimentary layers, but not as heavy as the basement stones underneath. So the sedimentary layers, the supergroup rocks, and then the basement rocks. In the upper sedimentary, the lowest level of the sedimentary is the Tapiz sandstone layer. Okay? The, that Tapiz sandstone layer, you can see in your handout, um, the yellow area is how much of the United States that particular layer is covers. Um, we've, we found it all over the United States. However, I'm going to show you a different photo I found after I printed that handout. It actually extends beyond the United States. So what is in tan is the Tapiz uh, sandstone lower sediment layer. So that is quite a lot of area that it covers uh, that that same, that same level of sandstone or that same layer is found. Um, it extends much of, over most of North America, but we can hardly imagine what forces were necessary to deposit such a vast set of uh, sediment, and it's continent-wide series of deposits. Yet at the basement or the base of that layer, right at the low below the sediment layers, you can find the huge boulders and sand beds that, that the evidence shows they were deposited by storms. And so both of these things are evidence that massive forces deposited these sediment layers rapidly and violently across the entire continent. The uniformitarianist view of, of evolutionary um, geology and evolutionary theory, the concept, we, we talked about the definition of that word uniformitarian, meaning the way that it is is the way that it has always been and the way that it always will be. So the uniformitarian view based off present-day observations, believes in slow, gradual processes over millions of years. But this could not have been caused by slow, gradual processes over millions of years. Any school child knows that the weather 
and Arizona in the United States is not the same as the weather at the North Pole. It will never provide the same conditions over two years, let alone two million years. All right, I'll move on from there. <laughs> the, the global Genesis flood, though, can absolutely account for this gas deposit of sandstone. Next, still not transitional rock layers. It is uh, definitely transcontinental. So, <clears throat> another example of rapidly deposited sediment over a vast area is chalk beds. They're often referred to as Cretaceous chalk beds. And this is a photo of the most popular ones in England, uh, the Dover Cliffs, I believe. <clears throat> so, they're well known because <laughs> that's a spectacular view of, of white cliffs, but this is all uh, Cretaceous chalk. These chalk beds can be traced westward. Let's see if I can get this right. Oh, didn't get it right. Okay. Those are the chalk beds in England. They can be tra traced westward into Ireland and in the opposite direction through France the Netherlands, Germany, Poland, southern Scandinavia, other parts of Europe, Turkey, Israel, Egypt, and the Middle East, and even as far as Kazakhstan, uh, north of the Caspian Sea. Remarkably, those same chalk beds with the same fossils and the same distinctive strata above and below them, so in the same sequence of layers, are found in the Midwest United States, from Nebraska all the way down to Texas, and they also appear in the Perth basin of Australia. I couldn't resist the shape of the king, the, uh, boomerang. the boomerang, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in case you didn't see it, I'll do it again. Yeah. <laughs> but the Perth basin is actually shaped like a boomerang. I think that's why they created it. I don't know, maybe it's just me. <laughs> um, but these, these representations of above ground that I just made of a few symbols are Obviously, that's, that's me. That's not, a, that's not anything scientific. But it shows you these, these locations around the world where the same chalk layers are. <clears throat> I would contend that you could probably find it under here, too, if you could get under there. Right? Um, not that there would be much, because a lot of it would have been dissolved and, and things like that. But there's got to be evidence right, of we're finding this in the land all over the world. Um, just like when you look at a picture of the Grand Canyon, there's a big dip, and then on the other side, you see the rock layer here and the rock layer here are the same, even though there's nothing in between, right? If it all lay leveled out and it had enough to not have valleys and crests and everything, it would be consistent all the way across. So there would be a consistency across the Atlantic Ocean, except that there's a big dip here, and so then now we see layers and layers and layers as they go up of what was higher and what was lower. Another example is the coal beds in the northern hemisphere. We have just, as, just the United States. You might be able to see that a little bit. It's kind of uh, grayscale. But in the United States, there are, these are all the different kinds of levels of coal, coal beds we have. They named them thinking that if they're at different depths, they're lots older. They probably were all laid down at the exact same time, but can't tell that to an evolutionist. So the different shades are the different different beds, right? <clears throat> Here, the Pennsylvanian uh, coal bed is, um, they, they label it as Pennsylvanian and Permian, but mostly this, this section here, here, and here 
and up here. All of this is the same level spread across multiple areas. So that, that Pennsylvania coal bed stretches not just here, but from Texas. It's going to do it. Boom. From Texas all the way to the Donuts Basin north of the Caspian Sea. That's quite a lot of area to, for the same coal bed with the same plants in it and the same kind of fossils around it, right? So that it is absolutely laid down at the same time. It didn't get laid down over millions of years difference. Uh, another coal bed is the Permian coal beds, and they are found in the southern hemisphere from Australia, Antarctica, India, South Africa, and South America. And again, these are just representations of general areas, not everywhere you find a coal seam. Um, just a quicker image. <laughs> but it's, it's remarkable that, again, same plants uh, studied in the same level with the same strata above and below it, the same fossils found near it. Obviously, across the globe, it was laid down at the same time. And finally, um, in order to make coal, you have to have a lot of organic material. All right, still transcontinental, but we're back to the photo of the uh, Grand Canyon. Not the Tapit sandstone that we looked at, but another layer called the Coconino sandstone. It's very um, identifiable because it's higher up. Most people see it regularly. I'll give you another photo to tell you what I'm talking about. This one, it's this layer here that is bright white at the top. And so you see all these darker, redder stone, sandstone layers and limestone in between, like right here. But this big sandstone layer before the very top limestone layer, very identifiable across the landscape of the Grand Canyon. Um, it has an average thickness of 96 meters and it covers an area at least 518,000 kilometers or 1,000 square kilometers. And it goes eastward across all the adjoining states. So the volume of sand just in that layer, the Coconino sandstone layer, is over 41,600 cubic kilometers of sand. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. The layer also contains physical features called cross beds. <clears throat> this is um, found in, so if you see the lines going this way, so this, this, this photo is taken vertically, and the sandstone layer itself is completely vertical, or it's completely horizontal, but within it, you can see the layers going at angles. And this happens because of um, the, 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 these sloped beds, as they call it. I'll give you a different graphic here. These sloped beds happen with when water flow comes this way and the sand gets pushed up, right? And it causes different movements in the, in the sand below it. While it's still underwater, it's still sand before it becomes sandstone once all the water goes away. And so making these cross beds has to do with water flow and you can determine given the angle of the cross beds of the slope how fast the water had to have been moving across the top of it. Um, another image here shows you how the different deposits, um, the layers can, can match in different areas. The same sand and the same fossils can be because it kind of creates these dunes 
depending on how much water and how fast it's moving, and then the sand blows off the top of it over here, and blows off the top of it over here. Again, if you ever had the sand art toy as a kid with oil and water and different colored sand grains, and you turned it around and you moved it around, you would see this effect of the sand being pushed across the top of a dune. And you were creating slant, or sloped beds or cross beds within uh, those sediments. Um, but it can be demonstrated through experimentation and lots of crazy math that the water that created those cross beds in the Coconino sandstone were flowing at five to eight kilometers per hour. And then they deposited those sand, the sandstone as massive sheets of sand with sand waves up to 18 meters high. And at that rate, the whole Coconino sandstone layer, what I said, 41,000 cubic kilometers of sand, would have been deposited in just a few days. That totally blows in the face of evolutionary theory of sedimentation. Okay, the next one in Australia, this is called the Ayers Rock, or Uluru. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly in the Maori tongue. But in central Australia, this rock um, it consists of very coarse-grained sandstone beds. They're, they're almost vertical, right? Which again speaks to how fast the water had to be flowing for those beds to be nearly vertical. I think they're at 80, 80 degrees and 90 degrees would be vertical. The total thickness of these beds, including the outcropping of Ayers Rock, um, is uh, 6,000 meters, right, yeah. It's, so the minerals in it and the sand grains are very distinctive and the closest source of this sand is over 100 kilometers away. So it had to have been moved 100 kilometers and then deposited, but on top of that, because if you look at this, these sand grains under a microscope, they appear jagged, they're not smooth, and they're of all different sizes, okay? So one of the minerals in there is called feldspar, and it appears unusually fresh in the sandstone. Normally it dissolves. Um, the features imply rapid transport and deposition of all of this sand before the feldspar grains could disintegrate, which they normally do and we don't find them, or the sand grains could be worn down on each other, right, and made to the same size of like pebbles and then sorted by size. If you give it enough time, water in a riverbed will make all the rocks generally the same smoothness, same size, mm -hmm. deposit the, the heavier ones lower and the, the, the lighter ones higher, and they'll move the lighter ones farther away, right? A river just continues to flow like that. If the water stops, it allows more sedimentation, and um, if it's done fast and then goes away fast, then it doesn't have time to wear those rocks in. Same thing with the sand. So that there was a soup-like slurry, then, of sediment. I know that's a lot of S's. <laughs> These are called turbidity currents. The turbidity currents of the flood traveled about at speeds up to 113 kilometers per hour. There was so much water that these currents were able to move 113 kilometers per hour, give or take, and they must have transported this 6,000-meter thick layer of sediment a distance of over 100 kilometers and then deposited it here, where this Aluro, sand, Aluro sandstone bed is, in just a matter of hours. If it took any more than a matter of hours, everything, the feldspar would have disintegrated, the other grains would have been um, worn down and eroded. And that totally defies the ideology of evolution. I hope you, you can see how that does. I mean, there's 
this is 100% a way to give you confidence in the, that the Genesis flood actually happened. And the, what our Bible says about what happened in those conditions is believable. Not it's reasonable, as God says, come, now let us reason together, saith the Lord. The, he wants us to be reasonable. He's given us reason for a reason. And that reason is to support our belief. You have to have a belief that you support with reason. Because if you start with reason to find the belief, you never will. So sediment layers that spread all across vast continents are evidence that water covered those continents in the past. The most dramatic, I feel, um, evidence is that the fossil-bearing sediment layers were deposited rapidly across many or most of the continents all at the same time. The coal beds, the chalk beds, the fossil layers, same time all across the continents. To catastrophically deposit such extensive sediment layers reasonably implies a global flood of all of the continents, not a local flood of the Mesopotamian Valley. We've only seen a few of many examples of rapidly deposited sediment layers, transcontinental, not transitional. <laughs> but all of this is further evidence that this cursed earth bears the scars of God's judgment. As Noah's flood catastrophically swept <clears throat> all over the continents to form a global ocean, as described in Genesis 7-8, we would expect the waters to deposit fossil-bearing sediment layers rapidly across vast areas around the globe, and that's exactly what we find. So further evidence that the global catastrophic, cataclysmic Genesis flood was an actual event, as God told us in his word, through his eyewitness account of Earth's history. We can believe God. We can believe him in Genesis 1 through 11. We can believe him in Romans chapter 6. We can believe him in Revelation 22. We can believe God from beginning to end. Next week, we'll look at another <clears throat> evidence, evidence number four from geology, that goes hand in hand with the transcontinental, not transitional, rock layers. It's sand transported cross-country. Okay? So, yeah, this is a great little desert swipe vibe there. I like that photo. <laughs> but sand transported cross-country, I hope you come back for that one. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the next service.